Hello, all my faithful followers and beautiful listeners. Today, we're fact-checking the fact-checkers. Let's dive right in. So, I do note that this is a great statement. I kind of fall by it. Fact-checkers really didn't exist until, say, the truth started coming out. We didn't used to need fact-checkers. This was the fact-checker, right? If you heard something that was BS, we would trust each other to sort that out. But now, apparently, we need a lot of hand-holding in life. And fact-checkers have come along to tell us what's true, what's not. How are they doing though? This is something we have to talk about. So let's start here. The fact checker landscape, all sides has put out this fact check bias chart saying that, hey, you got a lot of stuff down the center. They call the BBC, the dispatch, uh, pointer down there who we're gonna talk about more today, Reuters, et cetera. And leaning a little bit left, AP, PolitiFact, Snopes, all of that, um, USA Today, Washington Post, and on the left, CNN. I have my own interpretation of this landscape. It looks more like this, uh, where these are all definitely leaning left. Then you've got left, and then you've got very left, and then you've got deranged over here. And down there, I would have to include as well all the social media giants, as well as Wikipedia. Wikipedia has turned into a very biased source of scrubbing of the news. So that's really what I see fact checkers often doing. They are not checking facts so much as what they're doing is gatekeeping. There's a big difference. Now, why is this important? Hey, we're told we're supposed to trust uh, randomized controlled trials. That's the gold standard. Peer-reviewed science, that's the gold standard. Hey, this has been fact-checked. That's how we know it's true. Not so fast. That's what we got to talk about here today. So today we're going to check up on the AP fact-checkers. Let's start here. This was something that came out on July 29th. Social media posts have claimed without evidence that COVID-19, those things I can't talk about here anymore, were to blame for the recent deaths of three doctors in Canada. And you can see down there that they had about 1,100 likes and almost 1,100 comments. So the ratio wasn't really strongly on their side. What was this? Well, first up, fact checks are supposed to be about the facts. When you can't distinguish between a fact and an assertion, that's a rookie mistake. Here we see the AP making a big rookie mistake. They say here the claim, three doctors at one hospital system in Canada recently died from COVID-19 things there. And their assessment was that's false because the hospital system for which the doctors were called such claims simply not true. Hmm, case closed. Uh, this isn't how any of this works. If the hospital wants to make that assertion, that's fine. It doesn't become factual until they provide evidence to go along with it. Did they provide any evidence? Were there any autopsies? No. Any clinical data? No. There was just the bald assertion that we say so. And the AP checked with the hospital, checked that fact out, and the hospital said, yeah, that's what we said. And AP said, oh, therefore we declare it false. Uh, obviously that's a major error right there. Next, a second problem is that it wasn't five doctors, as they said, you know, it, um, it wasn't three doctors, like they said, it was five doctors including this one right here. Uh, this Ontario doctor, 27, died after collapsing during a triathlon, 27 years old, obviously in the prime of her life, very fit. This is a very unusual thing. And of course they just left that out of their fact check, um, possibly because it didn't fit the fact check narrative. So we're gonna, that's the case I'm making here. These fact checkers are not checking facts. They're promoting narratives. That makes what they're doing not all that different from anybody else who would use a media platform to disseminate things that are patently not factual. There's a recent court case around that. I think this is trending into that same territory. Also, um, not so strangely, uh, they really didn't look into this, I think, because it did not support their narrative. So this is a true case. Here's uh, the statement from McMaster Children's Hospital about this tragic case right here. All right, so the media can always commit two big sins. Sin one, a sin of commission. That's where they're blatantly lying. They're getting their facts wrong. They're misquoting people or they're making up things like sources that don't actually exist. So that's a sin of commission. Hey, they happen. Sins of omission are where the media forgets to tell you about something like, oops, we, did we leave out that doctor who died during a triathlon? Or they leave out important details that provide necessary context. Uh, they're not writing about the stories at all so you don't even hear about them. Or they take quotes badly out of context, taking snips and fragments and, and trying to reframe things in a light other than is actually accurate or factual or like good reporting. So this is what we've seen here. Um, and by the way, 
This is something that just came out from a FOIA request that uh, is part of a lawsuit. And it turns out that this is um, something that was sent out in September of 2020. And this is pretty astonishing what's going on right here. This is a letter that went out to the heads of all these big places like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google, Alphabet, and also Twitter. That's the biggies. And what happened here was this is coming straight out of the White House and they're saying, hey, you know what? Um, we would really appreciate it if uh, you would help us, um, you know, tackle this thing called information designed to sow division. They hadn't quite figured out the misinformation, malinformation, disinformation, things like that at any rate. And then they say, since 2016, your companies have taken important steps to stop the spread of false information. And while we appreciate all of that, um, they carry on and keep talking about this. And so what happens is we find out that it's been something that these media companies have been absolutely doing is working hand in hand with the government to define what is misinformation, what is disinformation, and how they're going to stop the spread of it. Interestingly, so <laughs> check this out. The intelligence community has confirmed, is the intelligence community, can I find them in the phone book? Is there an address for these people? And according to the New York Times, some of your platforms have also confirmed that our elections are being targeted by Russia and other foreign adversaries. And of course, we found out later that really that was not the case or it was very, very, very much overblown. Certainly not deserving of this sort of a, um, a reach out from the White House. But I would draw your attention down here. They're citing things. They're, they're citing things. So um, here they're citing a statement by uh, NCSN director here and also look they're citing a new york times article here russians again targeting americans with disinformation facebook and twitter say and this is something written by a hmm, ashira frankel ashira frankel i want to talk to you about Shira frankel for just a second but before i go there first i got to mention hey if um because of this little event that happened down here i don't know how long i'm going to be allowed to remain on the platforms that i do if you ever find you can't find me or it seems like i've gone quiet you can find me at peak prosperity right there that's where you can find me on twitter rumble and increasingly a place called sovereign sovereign dot media that's like dot com it's a dot media extension odyssey down there and of course we're facing this kind of censorship all the time on this channel and as well if you really really want to be sure that you are not missing anything that i'm coming up with or want to tag in with the great amazing community we have at peak prosperity we have membership options available there for you as well. Would love to have you come and be part of that or just come by, sign up for our newsletter and then at least you'll get an email notifying you what we're up to and where to find us and what new and latest information has come out on Peak Prosperity and there's stuff there every single day. All right, so back to this thing. Who is this Shira, Shira Frankel? Um, hmm. Well, this really interesting article came out recently titled How Some Parents Changed Their Politics in the Pandemic. New York Times, um, very, uh, very recent here. It came out August 1st. I think you can tell from the URL, though, what really the slant of this might be. And because um, they say how some parents changed their politics in the pandemic. But down there it says anti-vax, parentics, political party. I think we, we can figure out where this article's going and why. And, oh, hey, here's Shira again showing up, uh, obviously being rewarded for writing articles. Now, I'm going to tell you this is not an article. It's presented as an article. It's presented with facts. But if I was fact-checking the fact-checkers and I wanted to fact-check a certain article that was unfactual, it would be this one. Because what I see here is a propaganda piece. Now, the essence of propaganda is to emotionally lead somebody towards a particular political conclusion, right? But in this day and age, politics is sometimes money, money for companies. Very hard to distinguish uh, this from a pure propaganda piece. And I'll tell you why. Uh, everything that I've bolded there is what I consider to be an emotionally leading word. This is how I read articles. I'm looking at this article and I'm thinking, hey, is this article informing me, informing me or is it leading me. All right. Well, um, da, 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 and quote, she's writing about a Miss Longnecker, who's one of these parents whose politics might have changed. Ms. Longnecker 
Necker and her fellow objectors mm, are part of a potentially destabilizing new movement. Parents who joined the anti-vaccine and anti-mask cause during the pandemic, narrowing their political beliefs to a single-minded obsession over those issues. Their thinking hardened, even as COVID-19 restrictions and mandates were eased and lifted, cementing, in some cases, into a skepticism of all vaccines. Nearly half of all Americans masking in a similar share is against vaccine mandates for school children, polls show. Odd little tidbit there. But what is obscured in these numbers is the intensity with which some parents have embraced these views. On and on and on. And you can just see this is <laughs> for the White House to be quoting Shira is an exemplar of what's true and what's not true. I think we can detect the bias that's just dripping out of this writing right now. And it's not just Shira, it's her editor who didn't strip any of this out and their editor. This this is approved messaging from the New York Times, right? objectors, destabilizing, narrowing, cementing, hardened skepticism, you know, transformation injects unpredictable. Boy, it's exhausting to wade through that stuff, but it, it's not news. This is an opinion piece, belongs on the op-ed page. All right, now back to this. So fact-checking at the AP. So we had the AP, they came in, they fact-checked that that article was wrong, that these three doctors that had died, uh, they fact-checked that and found that Anybody who said it was anything other than what the hospital said or asserted was uh, making misinformation or, or spreading disinformation. So who are these uh, medical geniuses at the AP who are doing the fact checking? We never peel it back. So I thought, hey, let's peel this back. Who are these people? I mean, the AP is a big organization. They've been around a long time. They have a huge reputation to protect. So... Obviously, if I'm in their position, I would say if I'm going to be fact-checking certain areas, right, if I'm fact-checking technology, I'm going to want somebody with a technology background. If I'm fact-checking, um, you know, NASA and space issues, I'd want somebody with a little experience in that set. But if I'm fact-checking things around medical or scientific areas, I'd want people with some expertise. That's, that's how I would do it. That would be commonsensical. So who is AP fact-check? Well, it's led by Barbara Whitaker here and Ruth Brown. So those two are in charge of the overall fact-checking here at um, AP. And Barbara Whitaker, let's see what her science background here is. Uh, news editor for AP Verification, managing a team, um, knocks down false news circulating online. Ah, oh, that's so brave of you, Barbara. Keep it up. Uh, she's based internationally. Uh, she's a uh, hmm. journalist. She's written for the Philadelphia Inquirer, New York Newsday, Dallas Morning News. She also taught a live journalism class while editing, lifestyle journalism class while editing for AP on contract in Warsaw, Poland. So no science there. That's okay. Maybe uh, her co-lead, Ruth Brown, must. I'm getting a vibe off of Ruth, too, here. Um, so weekend news editor for AP Verification, based in New York City. Uh, she used to work for Crikey, a, a political email newsletter. Nothing to do with Steve Irwin. <laughs> Bachelor degree in arts, degree in politics. Also wrote for the Willamette Week in Portland, Oregon. Quite a lefty rag there, if you know anything about that. Um, maybe even left of left. Uh, pretty far, pretty far out there. So no science. What about Beatrice Dupuy, who actually fact-checked one of my articles a while back and declared it false? Beatrice, uh, among her many uh, uh, accolades and, and background exemplars here, worked for Teen Vogue uh, for a period of time. Um, and she has a degree in journalism with a minor in French. So not, not Beatrice with a science background. Uh, Arigeta is a BA in literature and politics, MS in journalism. Nope, not, not her either. Allie, uh, degree psychology from Loyola. Okay, we're getting, getting closer. And a journalism degree from Columbia, but still not the science expert I'm looking for here. Angelo, he's got a bachelor's in journalism from Temple, not, not Angelo. What about, what about Karina? She used to work for Time for Kids and a literacy journalism with a minor in digital information systems. So, nope, not Karina. Marcos. Marcos, journalist for BBC. Uh, mm, sorry. Sorry, Marcos, you got a strike right there because BBC is one of the largest disinformation outlets out there on par with The New York Times as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and he collaborated in the production of podcasts around the spread of fake news in Mexico. Um Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. So, yep, um, it's all about journalism. So he's a journalist. Fine, nothing wrong with being a journalist. 
but I'm looking for the science background. Continuing on in the AP fact check uh, roster of characters here, Barbara Ortute is a technology reporter, um, political science degree, a minor in LGBT studies, so still not looking, not finding the science we're looking for. Amanda, well, Amanda's many, many accomplishments include spending a night in minus eight degree weather documenting the city's homeless population. So there's that, uh, still no science. David Klepper, School of Journalism. Hmm, coming up short here. Anybody else? Uh, oh, Cal, Cal Woodward. He's, he's uh, been around the block a couple times. Obviously he's more of a politics fact checker, but FAIR, which is fairness and accuracy in reporting, has given him pretty much a D minus saying, quote, why does AP still let Cal Woodward fact check political speeches? Does no one at the service know what actual fact checking looks like? Cal gets a really low grade on that. And of course the FAIR has a number of blogs specifically about Cal whiffing on his political fact checking, but he is now clearly one of the fact checkers that's involved in the AP fact check about all things, including all things COVID at this point. Rounding out the complete roster, finishing it up here is Hope Yen, national reporter based in Washington, DC, has reported on the Supreme Court, demographics, veterans affairs and politics. And um, that's it. Maybe had some reporting on Hillary Clinton. So that's it. That is the complete rundown of all the AP fact checkers. These are the people who are checking the facts to make sure that People like me aren't mischaracterizing certain things out there, like those hospital deaths we saw. Here's what I notice. The AP fact checkers do not have anybody with a solid science background in their fact checking universe, not one. So the next time you hear that the AP has fact checked something, I just want you to think about who the fact checkers are because it's, it's not like fact checking is this anointed thing and once you get passed into the fact checking universe, you are the best of the best and you are the least biased, most rational, and most balanced person in the universe. In fact, you're just probably a person bringing your own biases into the game. By the way, um, we're gonna talk about PolitiFact and its parent organization. It's, it's uh, PolitiFact itself is part of this Pointner Center. So Pointner announces the Center for Ethics and Leadership aims to evaluate facts-based expression and civil discourse. I had to go to the Wayback Machine to find this out, but the center was made possible by a $5 million grant from Craig Newmark Philanthropies. Uh, who is Craig Newmark? Well, that's Craig right down there. If you've ever used Craig's List, you know what Craig is. That's Craig's List down there. And of course they earn a lot of money, like five, $600 million a year flows in from their advertising um, section there where people advertise jobs and bicycles and, and things like that. So at any rate, uh, this was in February of 2019, the Pointer Institute Global Nonprofit dedicated to excellence in journalism uh, awarded that grant the largest single grant to Pointner in their history. So five million bucks helped them get started. And PolitiFact sits under that. PolitiFact is a part of that Pointer Institute. And so what is, who is PolitiFact? Well, glad you asked. Managing editor is Katie Sanders here. Managing editor and let's see, oversees a lot of things here. And so Katie has a lot of roles here, but one of the things she doesn't have because she's got a graduate degree in English and journalism doesn't have a science background. Just like to point that out because if you are fact-checking scientific articles, if you're fact-checking technology, you kind of want somebody who's got that background to make sure they know fact from fiction or they at least have a, a decent landscape to know what it is they're evaluating. So Katie's heading this whole thing up and she doesn't have a science background. And we've also got Aaron. Aaron is clocked in here with his uh, own background. What's Aaron up to? He is, um, let's see. What's his background down here? Uh, well, he teaches misinformation and disinformation tactics with a focus on empowering citizens with more accurate information. Little light, but um, checking him out, I didn't see any science background in Aaron's background. That's okay. You're the executive director. All you need to do is have people on staff who have that background, of course. And just finishing it out, Angie here is the top of the leadership structure. So now we know what PolitiFact is all about. This is the editor in chief. So if you have a problem with the way uh, PolitiFact has fact check stuff, Angie and Aaron and Katie, those are the people who are responsible for this. I like to put the faces to this whole thing because it's not PolitiFact has said this, like it's like, you know, the Vatican has said something. 
there are people behind these things. I think we should know who these people are. We, you know, it helps us establish that sometimes people make mistakes. Sometimes they have biases. Sometimes they don't even know what their own biases are. Sometimes they're just people being people. Sometimes they don't want to lose their job because, you know, they, um, they, they understand which way the political winds are blowing, all of that. So Angie, uh, she was a reporter on a team that did win a 2009 Pulitzer Prize. That's an awesome thing to do. On for national reporting, she's on the advisory board of the IFCN, the International Fact Check Network. So Angie's pretty high up in this whole story. Got a master's degree in journalism, master's of library science. Undergraduate degree is from Plan 2 Liberal Arts Program at Unisex Austin. Um, okay, so that's, that's Angie. That's the whole leadership team. So I dug through the entire PolitiFact staff. And if somebody's got an orange slashy, that means they don't have any science in their training, in their background, anywhere in their bio or their degree. All right. So there is one person on there. Victoria actually has uh, an undergraduate degree in, an, in a biological science. So there is one person on staff at PolitiFact, and that's Victoria, who does have something of a science background. So I want to talk about how important it is, what happens with these gatekeepers who are, who are busy telling us what's true, what's not true, separating it out. And they put these really strong pronouncements out. We're going to take a look at the most recent time I got fact-checked by PolitiFact. It was pretty recently. Let's go here. I got PolitiFact checked. Let's take a peek at what happened. So that was the title of a, of a video I put out recently. And that was back in April of 2022. I'll let you read that title right there. I was just, I was just going over a study that had come out and it was in Lancet, right? And it was literally just Danish researchers, literally just looking at the RCT trial data from Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, and AstraZeneca. And it was just looking at that trial data. That's it. That's all it was doing. And of course it came up with, um, that was the headline that I came up with because that's actually what the study showed was that there wasn't an all-cause mortality benefit, which was the thing, that was the point I was working very hard to make, which was, hey, if we're doing these interventions, it's great to look at what happens at a micro scale in terms of that particular disease, but aren't we actually interested, public health standpoint, at what's happening in total? My answer is yes, that's what we would care about more than anything. Any public health intervention has to be on balance and in total you're weighing the positives and the negatives for that particular adventure, right? So um, keeping people at home has a positive, has some negatives. You wanna weigh those very carefully. That's what this study was doing. It was looking at all cause mortality. So Samantha Putterman was the fact checker who, who hit me up on that. By the way, Samantha doesn't have any science in her background. Did an okay job trying to uh, get through this as best she could, I think, um, but uh, let's just dive right into it. I'm not going to read the summary of it. Let's go into it. So this is uh, Samantha, and she's got majored in journalism and media studies. And here was the setup. Um, they said, you know, the video adds that by contrast, the adenovirus vector things there do show a very positive mortality benefit from COVID, intriguingly, even from non-COVID deaths. That That's true. They pulled that quote out of my, that's great. That's the quote. The video features Chris Martinson, a former pharmaceutical financial analyst. I've never been one of those. So um, I'm going to fact check the fact checkers. You got that totally wrong. Um, I've never been one of those. I don't even know where you would get some information like that. It's not, not part of my bio anywhere. Uh, founder of Peak Prosperity, a website that appears to be devoted to sharing concepts from a book he authored. In part, that's not entirely inaccurate. It's not entirely the case. Uh, this video was flagged as part of Facebook's efforts to combat false news and misinformation on its news feed. Read more about our partnership with Facebook. So I clicked that link and you can't read anything about their partnership with Facebook on that page. Doesn't talk about it at all, but glad for the link. Uh, PolitiFact reached out to Peak Prosperity for comment, but did not hear back. Uh, it's true. We, we got an email that came in through a general channel. It sat in a general channel email folder for a week while we get to these uh, info at Peak Prosperity sort of gets to us, but not that quickly. So at any rate, nobody reached out to me by Twitter, by my phone, by my personal email, by um, other channels. So I'm going to say the effort expended reaching out was was kind of light, um, wasn't all that strong. And we did uh, 
it was the reach out came. And then when we backtracked, we found that about two days passed between the reach out and this article being published. So there wasn't a lot of time there to really respond. Now, this was the episode here, uh, just so you can find it. And that was the way I framed it, which is actually, I'll stand by every word of that. And this was a conclusionary chart that came from that Lancet study. So anybody who's, you know, trying to fact check or review this, I'd remind you, this is a Lancet study. And uh, what was completely obvious from this was that the overall mortality was a zero. There was no benefit for these things here, whereas there was a mortality benefit here. Now, if you just focused on these things here, the COVID-19 deaths, there was a benefit here because anything to this side of the line is a benefit and anything on this side is not a benefit. Um, these had a better um, benefit, but here, oops, this is on the wrong side of the line and here, this is on the wrong side of the line. And when you sum all of that up, it comes out to this data point right here, which is a big fat goose egg. So there it is. As compared to these um, other ones, the adenovirus, uh, these came out um, very strongly positive. That's what I said. So that got, that's what got uh, fact-checked. And so by focusing only on COVID deaths, I believe a major error has been committed. This member, uh, in a prior episode, I talked about there are two types of sins that the media can commit. A sin of commission, that's where they flat out get something wrong or they lie. Or a sin of omission, and this is where they're not giving context or they're overlooking something or they're just not reporting on something. So I think we've got a sin of omission here and it reads out like this. So um, this is again from the article that was written in PolitiFact and by um, this woman right here, Samantha. And so if we look at this, um, so da, 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 you know, this, just sort of reviewing the whole thing. Um, the, and then they say that the authors of the Lancet study, the authors concluded that the two types of things differed significantly with respect to overall mortality. That's what the authors of the study concluded. So I was like repeating that conclusion for people. But, <laughs> there's that word, but when looking at COVID-19 mortality rates specifically, the picture changes. Well, but that, that was okay, but that's not what this study was about. It was asking the question about overall. Why would you focus it back down to one tiny piece and say, ha ah, when we look at that piece, you're wrong. I never made a claim about that piece. I never said a single thing about that, and I wouldn't. So all of this, we get all the way down, and it comes through everything, and you get PolitiFact's ruling on this thing. A video circulating on social media claims that a Danish study found that those mRNA things offer no mortality benefit. Well, I didn't claim that, that's what it found. That's like saying this video allegedly shows somebody getting punched in the face and the video shows somebody getting punched in the face. There's no alleged about it. <laughs> this wasn't my claim. Um, that's just actually what the study found. This is an oversimplification that doesn't accurately reflect the preprint study, which was not peer reviewed, does not accurately reflect the preprint study, which was not peer reviewed. Dude, it's in Lancet. Come on, it's fine. Uh, researchers use clinical trial data to see how the different COVID-19 things reduce deaths from all causes. They found that adenovirus vector vaccines appeared to protect against non-accident, non-COVID-19 deaths, while the mRNA things didn't have much of an impact. And they said more research is needed. The research didn't conclude that these mRNA thingies were ineffective at protecting people from dying of COVID-19. We rate this false. I never said that. I never said that they were in effect. I never said that. What I said was what the researchers conclude, which was like, uh, they didn't find that they had an overall mortality benefit. That's just part of, that's actually what we know about the randomized controlled trials that were conducted by these pharma companies. That's a known fact. It's just, it's not even remotely debatable. It's not even up for fact checking. It's simply repeating and recasting the pharma company's own data in a more combined light where they put all the pieces together so they have enough data to see if there's a signal there. That's what the researchers did. And it definitely deserves more uh, study and all that. But can you rate this false? Nope, you certainly can't. So again, uh, Samantha, I, I just, she just, look, she just probably didn't know. Uh, it's a tough job, right? You got 
you majored in uh, journalism and media studies. You don't have a strong science background. You got to dig in and make sense. We found out that, you know, the people that she reached out to for like to, to, to help rate this for her, she did a good job reaching out to a bunch of people. One of them was Pfizer. One of them, you know, was a, a variety of um, researchers and professors and things like that who obviously have a very strong interest in the main narrative and then came back with a fact check that, ta-da, supports the main narrative. What I'm trying to do is talk about science and results and understanding that there is no such thing as consensus science and that we're anywhere, anything but consensus around any of this stuff. I believe in free speech. I believe in the rough and tumble world of science and science inquiry. I believe that ideas take time to develop. I think that understanding takes time to develop. And I'm a huge, huge believer that we need to have free and open conversations, that freedom of speech is the most important thing we can have. But when you have fact-checking, self-describing fact-checking organizations who get the facts wrong and then rule that these things are false, without having really the authority to be able to do that, and also being dead wrong about that, that this inhibits us, this is not helpful to society, this is actually harmful that in the, in the scheme of things, a hundred people out there putting out bad conclusions based on their own bad read of science, it's just noise that goes away. But when you have an institution charged with and self-described fact-checkers who are doing that poorly and doing it wrong, well, now you do have a problem on your hand because it, that's what leads people astray more than anything. That's what sets science back. That's what holds progress back. And it's actually ethically and morally wrong. Now, the granddaddy of all fact checkers of all censors and censorship is, has to be Facebook. So let's talk about how Facebook goes about the very, very difficult job of having a massive platform with billions of users who have to somehow auto-magically make sure that they're not having bad information on there. I get it. Like, you don't want to have violence on there. You don't want random videos of beheadings. You don't want people being, you know, advised to do things that are directly harmful when, you know, by seemingly authoritative sources. So I get that. But... Is it possible to get it more right than they've been getting it right? Absolutely, particularly when it comes to this whole COVID-19 fiasco based on where Facebook chose to draw the line. And I wanted to talk about what they do and how they do that. And you know what? I studied this pretty hard and it's a little bit opaque. So let's see what we can discover. I'm sure I'll learn more as the years go by. So Facebook, censorship, fact-checking, what is it? Well, here we have an opinion in the New York Post and um, this was written in December of 2021, quote, Facebook finally admitted the truth. The fact checks that social media use to police what Americans read and watch are just opinion. What? Thanks to a lawsuit brought by celebrated journalist John Stossel, which has exposed the left's, left's supposed battle against misinformation as a farce. Stossel posted a pair of videos that touched the third rail of liberal politics, climate change, Neither questioned whether climate change is real, but each talked about other issues, namely forest management and using technology to adapt. Yet, the third party that Facebook contracts to review these pieces, science feedback, flagged them as false. Or our favorite, lacking context. Why? Science feedback didn't like Stossel's tone. That's what they said. They didn't like his tone. <laughs> There's your fact checkers for you. Um, uh, Carrie Gone in this in this article. Uh, let me move this down a tiny bit. Um, this is also still from that New York Post article. Then, when sued, Facebook throws its hands up and says, "Not our problem. His real beef, Stossel's real beef, is with science feedback. You see, we wash our hands of it. As for that fact check label we slapped on your piece, in Facebook's response to Stossel, it argues, well, that's protected opinion under the First Amendment. What?" Uh, and the post has faced this same gauntlet way too many times. They, they um, face this around the lab leak thing. I got censored off of Facebook for lab leak. That was happened to me too. It was labeled false by their fact checkers. And of course, um, uh, those supposed independent scientific reviewers they relied on, this is fun, for that lab leak hypothesis included people from EcoHealth Alliance, including Peter Dazak, was the fact checker to fact check whether these things, which he had a hand in, most likely had, might have come from a place that he had a hand in, most likely, and he fact checked and said it was false. And of course, Facebook ran with that. And the chance that Facebook was going to run with that, which was the prevailing political narrative of the time. Remember, there was a whole period of time we couldn't talk about lab leak. 
just couldn't talk about it. That was conspiracy theory. And then one day you could talk about it and they relaxed the rules around it. But that gatekeeping in the meantime did not promote the free flow of ideas. So Facebook is getting a little complicated. I'm, you know, with, with um, PolitiFact, they do the fact checking and they've got names that they put to that. It's pretty easy to begin to assess who are they? Are they qualified? How much stock do I want to put in their fact checking? Same for AP. Facebook, I came away really confused. So I dug into it and this is what I came up with. First, they have this dense thicket of gatekeeping. You go there and you dig through their documents and through their websites and you ask the question, how is Facebook addressing false information through independent fact checkers? And they tell you they're committed to fighting the spread of false information. And in certain countries, they work with independent fact checkers. I can't figure out my country. It doesn't seem to be one of them. And so... Down below, it says, reducing repeatedly fact-checked claims, we use technology and a review team to detect when a post contains particular common widespread claims that multiple fact-checkers have said are false. And this includes false claims about COVID-19. Okay, maybe we're getting somewhere. But again, this idea that numerous people have said this is false doesn't make it false, right? We had to go through the whole thing around hand-washing a long time ago where doctors, you know, didn't believe Semmelweis that hand-washing had anything to do with infections in the, in the operating theater. Uh, we had to go through long periods around tobacco where, you know, lots of fact-checkers would have concluded, guaranteed, if Facebook was around during tobacco times, there wouldn't even be warning labels on cigarettes and everybody would be smoking at the age of 10. I mean, because it was just, that's the way the game is played. So, but... False claims about COVID-19, well, they include a link, so I click on that, click. That link takes me to, click, this page. Oh, well, what are some of the ways Facebook's fighting COVID-19? Well, Facebook's working on new ways to slow the spread of misinformation. Do this, we're reducing distribution and applying warning labels to posts that repeat claims that multiple third-party fact-checkers have already rated. Oh, cool. Do, 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 based on articles written by our third party fact-checking partners. Okay, I had to go through a bunch of clicks, but I'm finally getting there. So I click on that link. Where do I go? Ah, you go right back to the first page. <laughs> I went in a big circle. <laughs> Those links take you in a nice circle. And each one tells you that there's important information on the next page. And that's all you can get out of Facebook. Like, that's it. That's, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know who this is. I don't know how they go about it. I don't know what their remit is. I don't know who's getting paid. Uh, is, are these third-party independent review? How independent are they? Who are they? Who's paying them? Where does their money come from? These are things I want to know. So Facebook did announce that they had an oversight board and I had to find a Reuters article that told me who these people were. So here's their oversight board. On the left are the names, starting with Catalina up at the top, going all the way on down to Nicholas on the bottom. And then I hunted down, who are these people? And I found out, well, Catalina is dean of a law school. Um, and this is their oversight board for misinformation. And Jamal Green is a law professor, and Michael McConnell's a law professor. And then you got Helle Thorning Schmidt, former PM of Denmark. Okay. Um, you got a human rights activist, a law professor, a journalist, a professor of PR, a lawyer, law professor, activist, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. At any rate, 11 out of 20 people on this oversight board are lawyers. Whoops. <laughs> Say what you will, but lawyers have a certain mindset. And I'm not sure that these are the people you actually really want to be depending on to parse through where society needs to be at this moment in time with respect to freedom of speech and pieces like that. I mean, I'd like to think that, that lawyers are the right people to start with, but when I looked into where many of these lawyers' hearts and, and minds lie, um, let's say many of them are, are very, very far left of center. And so I don't, I don't have a lot of trust in this. We got a lot of academics in there, same thing. Academics in the United States in particular have turned into an absolute horror show of anti-freedom of speech, anti-freedom of thought, looking into orthodoxy of constrained thinking, constrained ideas. There is, they seek diversity by everybody having the same or correct ways of thinking. So this is something we've discussed a lot. We've discussed with Peter Bogosian, with Brett Weinstein. I mean, it's just, it's a thing, right? So hopefully you know that, that academics aren't the free-thinking liberals that they used to be, liberal meaning free of thought. No, okay, so... Uh, and then we got some activists and we got some journalists on there. So this is the oversight board. The second thing I'll notice is, man, that's a lot of people. If you really want to get something bogged down in a lot of detail, put a lot of people on, on that committee. Committees of five or fewer, possibly you can get something done. A committee of 20 with, with these egos on board, not a chance. 
that might have been the point. I think that that's how it is. So, uh, Facebook, which is part of Meta, uh, outsources its fact checking. And so here's what they told us in March about how their fact checking works. Fact checkers are independent from Meta. Oh, they're, they're independent. Uncertified through the nonpartisan international fact checking network. Well, now hold on. I remember I was just doing a, a thing recently and it was a couple of days ago and I was looking into the fact checkers and I think I can find it here if I, if I look back a tiny bit. Um, yeah, I think it was Angie. Yeah, she serves on the advisory board right here of the International Fact Checking Network. And Angie is the editor-in-chief of PolitiFact. So you got PolitiFact and she sits on the advisory board of this thing called the IFCN. And then Meta, Facebook, is using IFCN to do its independent fact-checking. You getting you getting the circle? <laughs> this, is, this is just how it is. Just looking, looking at what's going on here and how all this comes together into a spot. All right, uh, and uh, they work with them to address misinformation. So, all right, so how does, how does that work? Who is this? Well, it turns out, it's just a big circle jerk at this point in time. So the IFCN is now, a, is actually part of Pointer. And Pointer is, has another subset under it, which is the science fact checkers that are used by Meta or Facebook belong to this science feedback. So when they said that uh, these, that my video had been reviewed and PolitiFact said, oh, but it was, it was Facebook that flagged this thing. And the people at Facebook, I don't actually work for Facebook, they work for something called science feedback, which is a part of this IFCN thing, which itself flows up through Pointer, which itself has somebody from PolitiFact on its advisory board. So at any rate, it's, that's just how this whole thing goes around. Now, I will say this though, the people on the science feedback side, they actually have real scientists on here. I was glad to see this. So check this out. Look who's on there. Founder and director, Emmanuel Vincent, holds a PhD um, at the University of Pierre St. Marie France, uh, postdoctoral fellowship at MIT. Great. We've got uh, Iria here, who's got an a undergraduate degree in biology and an MSc secondary education. Okay, great. PhD in neuroscience. Awesome. You got Fernanda. Great science credentials, Sophie. Great science credentials, Ian. Good science credentials. These are just the people on the health side, and a few other people in here as well. Ruben and Pablo and Flora. Pablo there in particular has a PhD in immunology from the University of Paris, Descartes, France. So uh, Pablo should have been in a really good position to be able to have assessed much of the stuff that's going on around COVID-19. We would hope. What I found was when we look at how science feedback has gone through this, it is inarguable that they had a very, very strong bias in every single one of their fact checks that came forward, and it always leaned in a certain direction. And so as a reminder, this is kind of what the fact checking universe looks like to me. Um, so there's a lot of bias in this stuff, and I would put science, um, that science part, I'd put them here, pretty, pretty left, pretty far left, if we're doing the left, right thing. I'd rather we did this up down. Are things correct or are they not correct? What do we actually know? What do we think we know? If we could just do the up down axis, not the left right, this is a much better world to live in. But uh, at any rate, we see how this all comes together and is working now. And so my view on this is that these people are uh, quite busy fact checking in a very, very directional way. So in this moment, we're gonna be discussing Twitter. Hey, Twitter censorship and fact-checking. I can't get a lot of information about Twitter fact-checking because they do have a misinformation policy, but they don't tell us if they're real people or how the decisions are made or where the lines are. Uh, is this internal? Is this you know somebody in a cubicle at Twitter? Are they outsourcing it? I have no idea. Couldn't find it out. So maybe somebody here can help me understand it. But their overview on December 2021, Twitter came forward and said, you may not use Twitter's services to share false or misleading information about COVID-19, which may lead to harm. Okay, the may lead to harm is a little squishy. We don't know what may, in either it's gonna lead to harm or not. It's a little squishy. Leave some room for latitude. I understand, that's fine. One of the things they said is, you can't do is um, they're trying to combat a wide range of false narratives and unsubstantiated rumors, which left uncontextualized can prevent the public from making informed decisions regarding their health. So they don't want anybody 
um, putting out what they would consider to be information that's wrong that could lead to harm. Like, like if you said something about, say, a medical treatment that was supposed to do something, but then it didn't do that and it exposed other people to harm, that would be bad. Like this, probably. Remember this? I'm so old, I remember this. Right about the same time Twitter's telling us about its information policies, it put this out. Twitter will now ban users that repeated, repeatedly claim that those sorts of people, because I can't say that word here anymore, those sorts of people can spread COVID. Uh, of course, that turned out to be completely exactly what happens. So, oops, right? Of, and of course, you know, Twitter came out and, and, and um, said how sorry they were for having gotten that so wrong. Nah, just kidding. They didn't they haven't said anything about that policy. It's probably still in effect. All right. So here is parts of their policy. They talk about when tweets get removed, when you get suspended, all of that. Um, you know, they tell about their strike policy. But look at that in yellow. They say claims that specific groups or people or other demographically identifiable identity are more or less prone to be infected or to develop adverse symptoms on the basis of their membership in that group. They're going to have to amend that policy for monkeypox. Just saying. Third, look at this one. False or misleading claims about potentially harmful and unapproved treatments or preventative measures. For example, that COVID on iodine can be used as a prophylactic or in the treatment. Well, that's kind of weird because here's this article in Science Direct um, that shows that can povidone iodine inactivate SARS-CoV-2 and decrease the risk of nosocomial and community transmission during the COVID-19 epidemic? Well, can it? Recent evidence has confirmed that 0.5% povidone iodine gargling for 30 seconds can reduce SARS-CoV-2 virus infectivity to below detectable levels. Well, there's that. Um, but you know, wouldn't want any misinformation out there or, oh, oh dear. There's even a, there's even some positive randomized controlled trials on this povidone iodine thing. So look at this one, clinical trials right here. Um, this is in frontiers, which is, you know, one of those preeminent journals, povidone iodine, um, accelerate clinical and laboratory recovery and reduces household transmission of SARS-CoV-2, a randomized placebo controlled clinical trial. Well, maybe it wasn't all that. Maybe maybe you have to squint at the data. Maybe it's not that powerful. Treatment promoted early recovery of anosmia and ajusia, both in the treated and control groups with a P of 0. 0.0001. So, looks like um, this, I mean, this is still, this, I mean, if you, if, if I brought those studies forward into Twitter, according to their current policies, that would be misinformation and I'd be suspended and I would lose all my followers and, and all the work I've, I've gone into helping this company. Honestly, this company ought to be, ought to be very few people on Twitter actually responsible for most of its content. And there's very few people who take the time to be good, high quality, conscientious people attempting to put high quality content through there. And Twitter is saying, we don't like that. And we're not going to tell you where, where the edges are. And we're going to be very vague about it. And then we're just going to suspend people. The number of people who've been suspended off of Twitter is extraordinary to me. And these are people I trust that I know personally in many cases and who I valued for their ability to sift through the data and the information because that's what science is. Science is a game of rugby. The ball goes this way for a little while. It goes that way for a little while. People get bloodied lips. and But eventually we figure the outcome of the game, right? That's how science actually works. Twitter's trying to pretend like science is this settled thing and you settle it by just making sure you have enough people who hold the same views as you saying the same thing and that's settled science. And of course, that's not how it works. And why do I care so much? Because if we can't get this right about something as simple as povidone iodine, which is a factual thing, if we can't get this right about a number of other things in this COVID-19 space, we're going to have no luck whatsoever dealing with the energy crisis we see coming before us as we run out of available oil in the world, as we run out of more coal, as we run out of aquifers and water and districts. I mean, it's like, what I'm saying here is this stuff we're talking about around COVID-19 is actually relatively simple compared to the sorts of predicaments we are about to face. And that's why I care, because if we can't get our facts right around simple stuff and we're all blinkered and biased by our political identities and identity politics and grievous party, this and that's and all that, if we can't like put that aside, we have no chance of getting through what's probably going to be one of the biggest economic crises and environmental and energy crises any species has ever gone through, but certainly our species. Carrying on with Twitter, they say, they say here, uh, well, who can report violations of this policy, this, this policy of not talking about povidone iodine, <laughs> for instance, 
While we have recently launched a customer report feature in some countries, we primarily enforce this policy in close coordination with trusted partners, hmm. including health authorities, hmm. NGOs, and governments, and continue to use and consult with information from those sources when reviewing content. NGOs? You mean like the Wellcome Trust? You, you mean like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? That kind of stuff? Yep. Um, I guess. Uh, and public health authorities and trusted partners. But they're a little vague on who those trusted partners are. So uh, Mary Tally Bowden, who recently got suspended off of Twitter and then maybe had come back on, and I'm not clear where this stands, but noted here that America First Legal had obtained emails between the CDC director of digital media, that's Carol Crawford, and Twitter executives on how to suppress free speech. And we got some examples of that. So this is an email from Carol Crawford, and it's going to, well, oh, look at some names in here. Um, we got a few names in yellow right there. I'll go through a couple of those with you here. And uh, she writes, thank you for those who were able to attend today. And when was this? This is back in May of 2021. Um, here are the slides. Please do not share outside of your trust and safety team. So what's interesting is this is a director at the CDC sending secret slides to people in social media companies. And here's a few of the names. Todd O'Boyle, he's on there. He's in charge of policy at Twitter. And uh, he's a senior manager of public policy. And so Todd's name is right on there. There it is, Todd O'Boyle right there. Um, and so Todd's on there and he's writing back and forth with uh, Mary. As well, Jan Fowler and Tenarios was and Tenaros was on there. And this is a senior manager of US government affairs and public policy at Google. So, hmm. Jan's background includes two decades of experience in Washington, D.C., focusing on government, affair, strategies, ex-Senate, ex-House legislative assistant, currently Google government affairs, public policy, supporting external outreach to U.S. federal government. So, yeah, external outreach to U.S. federal government talking about how the CDC can help use, leverage these people here to talk, suppress what can be talked, what can't be talked about. So CDC has a point of view. Well, let's take a look at that. What, what could that point of view be? First, another email name that was on there is Peyton Lahim. Um, here, work in the New York Times, but now it was part of public policy for Facebook during that period of time. Prior to that was a senior policy advisor at the White House. So obviously very well tapped in with the whole government apparatus. And here's a, one of those slides from that slide deck that... America First Legal had managed to pry out of the CDC. Note here, this is an example of a slide. Um, there were many, many different slides. I just pulled one out. So advisory, advisory, misinformation has been identified regarding the purpose of COVID-19 vaccines. Please be on the lookout for statements, pictures, posts, or messages containing these things, which are bioweapons or part of a depopulation scheme or which contain microchips. So those are the, I get it. That's what they're looking at. They're saying, we don't want that kind of information going out. That seems bad to us. I think I understand the logic behind it is like, hey, those things could cause people to have hesitancy. Like yeah, people could have inappropriate questions. I get it. But look at the facts here. They, they laid out where, when, status, potential impact, reduce vaccine acceptance. This is what they're trying to combat. But look at the facts, the facts. COVID-19 things are safe and effective. COVID-19 Things were evaluated in terms of thousands of participants in clinical trials. The vaccine met the FDA's rigorous scientific standards for safety, effectiveness, and manufacturing quality needed to support emergency use authorization. Um, actually, they were rushed through. And in fact, um, it's, it's uh, to say that those are the facts, that's no, those are, those are assertions. Those aren't actually the facts. So... You can assert that these things went through rigorous uh, trials, and uh, but did they? And the answer, according to a lot of experts, is no, they really didn't. They, they got rushed through. Remember Operation Warp Speed? Um, all of that. So it's just interesting to see how they're framing it and calling those the facts when, in fact, we didn't have those facts available to us back then in May of 2021. All right. 
But here we see Todd O'Boyle writing back to Carol Crawford saying, hey, Carol, thanks so much for getting in touch. We'd be glad to schedule a check-in with our CEO. That would have been Jack Dorsey at the time before Congress this week is tricky. How does next Tuesday or Wednesday look for you? All right. Um, So we can see here very clearly that Twitter was working very closely with the CDC. We can see that um, actually we saw a lot of suppression of free speech. So this raises some very thorny constitutional issues here in the United States. I know it's different in other countries, but here in the United States, government, the First Amendment is really, really crisp and clear. It's very easy to understand. The government is supposed not supposed to be having anything to do with interfering with free speech, right? Including free speech includes the right to say things that are wrong. Free speech doesn't mean it's curated, fact-checked, and agreed to by an overwhelming consensus of other people. That's not even what it's about. I absolutely withhold for me and for you the right to say anything you want at any point in time. You can say these things, right? And if you cross certain lines, libel comes into play. If you cross other lines, defamation comes into play. But there are free speech is absolutely really, really critical, particularly when it comes to science. It's, it's the cornerstone of it. When it comes to intellectual pursuits, you have to have free speech. You can't say, mm, we can't talk about those things because those are microaggressions against certain individuals. So we can't, we just can't even talk about those. We can only use these pre-approved thought constructs to try and have a, a wide-ranging conversation. It actually doesn't, that's not how it works, right? All right, so that's one of the things that we know that, that uh, Twitter was up to. I want to just show you very quickly one, you know, this is kind of something I run into. Um, so what I'm going to show you here is a, just a quick little video I took of the experience I have on Twitter on a daily basis now. And notice uh, this is a comment I had made, uh, a post I'd put up on Twitter, and people are commenting to it. And look at Andrew Purdy down here. See that? There's a one there. So somebody's left a comment on Andrew's comment to me. And so I'm like interested. I like to see, well, what's going on? You know? So I, I notice here that there's a comment there. So I click on Andrew Purdy's comment, which should bring up Oh, hey, look, now I have to click through a warning. I have to do that all the time. So I click through and there's, where's the, there's no comment. Where it is? Where'd the comment go? That happens all the time. So that's called comment hiding and it really limits engagement. I'm sure if I went back there a couple of weeks, three or four weeks later, the comment would show up, but now it's, it's taken away the vibrancy of that moment. And it's, I can now see the comment when it's no longer relevant or the energy's all gone and it makes it seem like hey, you know, we're leaving your stuff up there. We're not really censoring you, but we put these sort of, um, we throw some sand in the transmission. So I can't see the comments that I'm leaving. Now, what's interesting is I sometimes, I leave comments, I can see them, but if I go on a second device that I've anonymized and I come through a second IP address using something like a VPN, I I can't see that comment anymore. I can see that I've left it, but I can't see it from this other source. So that is, that's a, a form of shadow banning. Now, here's another thing that Twitter does. Um, This is called like stripping. Just notice the behavior of what happens when I'm trying to interact with people who've left comments on a comment I've made and, oh, hey, where'd the, went from one to two back down to one. Well, how about about this one? Wait a minute, what's going on here? Oh, oh man, Twitter won't let me have likes on things. (laughs) They come and they go. And it's not, so somebody said, oh, that's just a bug. It's not a bug because, see, I could leave one on that one. And I could leave one on that one. And I could leave one, I think, on this next one here. But sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. So the likes get stripped and all that. And again, I'm sure when you go back and weeks later or days later, you'll find out the likes were actually there. But it's just it's just a little algorithm, a little fun they're having to take people who they don't approve of and I assume, and uh, just limit their experience and make it so that it's um, looks like you don't have a lot of engagement. It's a form of shadow banning. And so this is sort of the level of trickery that's been going on, but here's what we know for sure. Twitter was working closely with the CDC to define what people could and could not talk about. Some people were outright suspended for saying stuff that we now know was actually true. And, but somehow Twitter, in its infinite wisdom, knew that that stuff was inappropriate to talk about. We don't know how they know that because they won't tell us who the NGOs, who the independent fact checkers are. We don't know what their process is. It's just they decide that, for instance, like when we start way back up here, this was something that Twitter was sure about at one point in time. They were going to ban you if you repeatedly claimed that those sorts of people there can spread 
COVID, which of course we all now know is completely true. But there were people who got banned for having dared to say that. So what other things are people talking about today that they're getting banned for? Hey, who knows, right? Um, but we can guarantee that it is going on at this point in time. So um, that said, I will tell you that if I get, you can't find me on this channel, find me over here. These are all the places that you can find my work. And why do you need all this information? Because sometimes that stuff happens. I may get knocked off this channel yet. You don't know. Who knows? Or become, consider becoming a member at Peak Prosperity. If not a member, then sign up for our newsletter. That's awesome. Otherwise, hit the like button if you like this. Subscribe or resubscribe to this channel if you need to, because people get unsubscribed from this channel all the time. I face the shadow banning. That's another shadow banning form that happens, um, like like stripping and comment removal or hiding and uh, taking subscribers and shuffling them off my feed. Happens all the time, just part of the game. Proud to be somebody who's bringing enough truth that it causes and ruffles a few feathers. Hey, that's how it is. Thank you very much for listening. Can't wait to continue talking with you. And for people who want to see part two of this, come on by part two, because we're going to be talking about this emergency that's happening in, in, in uh, EU right now. Plus, we're going to talk about those other things down there below. I'll let you read those yourself. That's all I have for you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to all my subscribers. Have a great August. Let's hope we have a nice, quiet rest of the summer. See you next time. Bye.